Our reading today is from Acts chapter 6. Now during those days when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve called together the whole community of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait at tables. Therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the spirit of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this task. While we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word. What they said pleased the whole community, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, together with Philip, Prochorus, Nicornor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicolaus, proselyte of Antioch. They had these men stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. The word of God continued to spread. The number of the disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Stephen, full of grace and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and others of those from Cilicia and Asia, stood up and argued with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. Then they secretly instigated some men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people as well as the elders and the scribes. Then they suddenly confronted him, seized him, and brought him before the council. They set up false witnesses who said, This man never stopped saying things against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses handed on to us. And all who sat in the council looked intently at him, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. The word of our Lord. Thank you, Celeste, for your reading. You may be seated. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, stir up your holy power this day and come. Send your spirit into our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our ears, that we might hear a word for us today anew, and so that we too might then live out that which we believe. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. A couple little caveats before I begin this morning. First of all, uh, Pastor Hub, I'm glad to see that you're here this morning uh, for a very particular reason. Um, I'm going to take a rather unusual take on St. Stephen this morning, and many of you know Pastor Hub was the senior pastor here for many years. Uh, and if you are looking for a more traditional and true uh, approach, you can talk to Hub on the way out the door. So Hub, just raise your hand so that you can refute my sermon later. It would be very helpful for everyone. Uh, the second caveat is this. Um, one of the things that I both hope for and believe about my preaching and just preaching in general is that preaching uh, is almost always confessional. And what I mean by that is... Uh, Preachers, uh, more often than not, find themselves in their own studies getting ready to preach uh, in a sort of a strange place dialectically within ourselves, a a conflict of faith and our own conscience within ourselves. What I mean by that uh, is most of the preachers that I know that I like and admire are the ones who are honestly and deeply personally wrestling with the text and the story and faith. 
There's this conflict between who God calls me to be and then who I actually see myself being when I get up and live uh, day to day. And so by that, I mean when sermons sound accusatory or there is some uh, sense of challenge within a sermon, I mean to say that I hope I'm not drawing myself out, but rather I'm indicating that this is a conflict that I feel within myself. So hopefully that's an intriguing setup for the story of Stephen that I'm about to talk about this morning. I'm curious how many of you know the story of Stephen. If I asked you to recount it, how many of you could tell me? That's kind of what I figured. It's not the most prominent story for most of us. Uh, It's the beginning of the story of the church, the beginning of the story of Acts, and I want to take a look at this young man, Stephen, who was commissioned by the early church to do one thing and ends up doing another. I'm going to tell it a little bit tongue-in-cheek, as I like to do, but it's sort of like this, I think, the story of Stephen. Stephen is commissioned by the early church to make coffee on Sunday mornings, and what he ends up doing is beating the preacher at their own game. In other words, Stephen is called to feed and take care of the widows within the early church where they have all decided that everything belongs together in one thing. They're sharing their food, their coffee, their cheese, everything else, and Stephen is called to be the one who distributes this. But instead, Stephen ends up being the preacher, full of wisdom and truth. And in fact, I want to call this a cautionary tale of immaturity. See, here's what I think about Stephen. I've had the chance this year to spend a lot of time with our confirmation students, junior high students, some of whom are here with us today. I love you deeply. Good morning. Nice to see you. Glad you're here. They're in the front row. Here's what I'm going to tell you. As an adult, if you ever try to argue with a junior high student, you are going to lose for a whole bunch of reasons. First of which, most of them are still, thank goodness, unencumbered by the thought process entirely, which is fantastic. (laughs) Sorry, guys. The second thing is, is that they are also completely untethered from reality. Also spectacular. Because in that situation, you can dream, actually, of the day that God envisions for all of us. We might dare to call what junior high students envision the kingdom of God. And the problem that I have as supposedly one of the elders is what I would describe as control and command. The beauty of what happens, however, is that Stephen launches immediately after our reading today into a speech that is both full of truth and full of faith, but unfortunately, like so many young folks full of zeal and truth, Stephen launches this story like throwing boulders to heap them on top of the elders, and it in fact does crush them. And like the pinnacle of any good sermon that is designed to crush those in the audience, it ends like this. Stephen says to the people, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you are forever opposing the Holy Spirit, just as your ancestors used to do. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, and now have you have become his betrayers and murderers. You are the ones that received the laws ordained by angels, and you have not kept it. 
And in word and in truth, young Stephen crushes them. In most traditions, we look at Stephen as a martyr, full of holy truth and promise. But I wonder if this isn't the immature passion of a young proselyte who has not yet plumbed the wisdom and depth of the way the world works. Stephen does, in fact, throw stones made of words. And I wonder if this isn't a story of immaturity on all sides, the failure of human beings to be wise and faithful. Let me be clear. Stephen is right, but he is accusatory and self-righteous. And the elders, the elders among him are immature and weak. For they then turn the stones back on Stephen and stone him to death. 2,000 years later, my reflection on this story is that we are still living in the immaturity of both Stephen and the elders. I would like to make the argument today that we are in fact continuing to live in an age of immaturity. We worship the young and growth and innovation and we neglect the wisdom of kindness, humility, respect, vulnerability, and inclusion. In our immaturity of faith, both public and in private discord, you and I and others speak in stealth, righteous, snarky, accusatory tones, declaring, I'm right, you're wrong, now shut up. And we far too often hurl stones at each other in crushing effect. Now, I know that there are lots who don't like it when I wade into the conversation of politics, but I tell you why I do this often. It seems to me that politics is the public expression of our collective and individual values. Let me say that again. Politics is the public expression of our collective and individual values. And, in fact, to go one step further, I might say that politics is reflective of the collective expression of the health of our souls and our culture. And I think, friends, we both know the diagnosis from the doctor is in. Both are ill and immature. Let me point out two highlights to which we are all both complicit and complacent. I was listening to NPR the other day, and as I was riding in my car, it was pointed out that the new DNC chair, Tom Perez, has now started publicly, publicly, in large gatherings with other people present, starting to declare that Republicans don't give an expletive about health care. In public political discord. I say it because if, if it doesn't sound shocking here in the sanctuary, then where would it ever sound shocking? One of the leaders of one of the major parties in our culture has stood up and is publicly swearing. 
Now, on the flip side of the equation, we have a president who is also declaring that we should bomb the expletive out of our enemies. These are reflections on the health of us, our culture, our souls, and our public discourse. We stone each other with words and actions that are designed to win, but not to learn, destroy, but not to understand. Friends, as followers of Jesus, we are called to do better, both individually and collectively. It's time to grow up. In fact, I believe we must follow Jesus into a maturity of faith that transcends the divisions among us to, in fact, seek a world, a culture, and a humanity whole. A place that our junior high students, people like Stephen and Jesus, call the kingdom of God. Richard Rohr, in a book that I highly recommend to you, has a quote that I found both convicting and inspirational. He says this, If you have, in fact, deepened and grown in wisdom and age and grace, you are able to be patient, inclusive, and understanding of all the points of view. That is what I mean by my frequent use of the phrase transcend and include. It is the infallible sign that you are enlightened, psychologically mature, or truly an adult believer. For those who have grown up in all religions are always forgiving, compassionate, and radically inclusive. They do not create enemies and they move beyond the boundaries of their own starter group while still honoring them and making use of them. Jesus, the Jew, in fact, criticizes his own religion the most, yet never leaves it. Mature people are not either or thinkers, but instead they bathe in the ocean of both and. As a confessional preacher, these are the wise words I so desperately need to hear. Words in which God calls to me, enlightens me, scolds me, and frees me to grow into the person God has longed to create me to be. If God has been calling to you for a way out, friends, this is it. Closer to home, someone that we all know and love, Martin Luther, in his small catechism, says this in the Eighth Commandment. Good Lutherans have memorized this, remember it, and can draw it from their heart. The Eighth Commandment, of course, being, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And what does Martin Luther say about this Eighth Commandment? It's beautiful. Folks, write this on your hearts, carry it in your pocket and wander around the world with this in mind. We are to fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbors, betray or slander them, or destroy their reputations. Instead, we are to come to their defense, speak well of them, and interpret everything they do in the best possible 
light. These words both convict and inspire me. They both put me to death and raise me to new wisdom and life. They are, in fact, what Luther has called the law and the gospel, the conviction and the good news. And I believe now more than ever, we must plead with God to call out to our sin-sick souls to inspire our hearts, free our minds, cleanse our tongues, that we might live as humble, patient, mature, wise, children of God's love and light, so that we throw stones no more. Amen.